As we look to now James, um, we're wrapping up this series in James chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 20. I want to invite Jackie uh, Kelly up. She's going to be reading for us out of God's Word this morning. And if you're able, would you please stand with me out of respect for God's Word as we hear this morning? Jackie, turn to you. Good morning, church. James 5, 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Jackie. Pray with me. Father, again, we come and we submit ourselves to you. Uh, Father, certainly know uh, that for me to be able to communicate the things in this text, I have to stand in your strength and in your wisdom, and so ask your spirit to speak through me. Uh, Father, I, it's not about my words. It's about us being, in here, being here to hear your words and then to submit ourselves to those things um, and, and then act accordingly. And so, Lord, we just pray your spirit would be here this morning. Father, I pray that you would increase our faith as a church. Um, Father, that you would help us to be a people who cry out to you as this text calls us to. I pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. So in 2011, um, I had a great opportunity to be able to go and visit one of our ministry partners in India. Um, and, and what we were doing in that, on that trip was we were being a part of a church dedication that Central had helped to establish. And so um, what we had done is help pay for a, a barefoot pastor to go into this community and share the gospel to a group of people that had never heard the gospel. And the church had gotten established, and we were able to then go and see um, the church and how they built this little community center. And I remember I was sitting there at this church during this dedication, and we were in this room, and everybody was seated on the concrete floor. Yes, concrete floor, so be thankful for the plush, cushy theater seats you're in right now. Um, but they were all seated on these concrete floor, and they began to share testimony of what God had done as he established this church in this little rural part of northern India. And I'll never forget, I just, I can literally remember multiple of the stories, but there was one in particular that stood out to me, a, a lady, I have no idea how old she was. She looks like she was like 112, my guess she was like 70, maybe 60, but she was telling the story that she'd grown up and for her entire life, 
she would go through these seasons where she would get horribly ill and she couldn't eat anything. Um, she, would, she just couldn't keep it down. She would just get sick over and over again. And so she would have these seasons and, and she would go to the witch doctors and she would go to uh, the various gods that she worshiped and she would ask for help and make all the little sacrifices and do all the things that she was told she could do to try to appease the spirits in such a way that this would be removed from her. And, and it never happened. Well, when the pastor came into the village, he found out about this woman, and so he went to her home with a couple of elders um, that had also traveled with him as they were trying to establish this church. And they said, hey, can we pray for you? And her testimony was, I was really reluctant because I was scared that, that my gods would get angry with me because I let this woman or let these people into my house. But she said, I was in so much suffering that I was like, fine. Go ahead. And so they brought the elders into the home, and her testimony was, as they began to pray for me, I felt my body get well. And I, 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 I was healed in that moment, and I have not been sick since, and so I gave my life to Jesus, and I've been following him ever since. And I was like, man, that was such an amazing story. Uh, I heard a story of God healing somebody who had uh, migraines for their entire life in that church, someone who uh, had seen some angels over them um, as they were killed and then were actually came back, but it, it came back in a hospital and uh, like just story after story of miraculous works. And so it was an amazing moment to deepen my faith, to remind me God still does miraculous things. And I hope we all believe that. I believe that when I went to India and many other places where I've seen it, but I really believed it when I came home. And, and, and that's kind of the reality. It's where we find ourselves a lot of time living in this country. It's like we believe these things, but, but there's elements of doubt still in us where we still question, like, okay, how does this work? And as I came to this text, I started thinking about this text and how to preach this text. I realized, like, it presents a lot of challenges, because the idea and the understanding of how God works in healing and in sickness is going to be as diverse as the individuals in this room on a spectrum. So some of y'all, it's like you believe, yeah, I know that God could probably still do that, but I don't think he does do that anymore. And so if you get cancer or you get a headache or you, I don't you get any kind of ailment, like you, you go... Lord, help me, but then you go to the medicine cabinet and you get Advil or you go to the doctor and you do all the things that you're supposed to do to get better. And you just kind of believe like that's the way it is and you don't expect a lot of miraculous movement in God to, to work and so you just live in that space. But then there's others who are on the other end of a spectrum within the church that would believe that God will never allow us to get sick and if we can just declare with enough faith against our sickness that it's just going to poof and vanish. And so those people would think the idea of taking Advil or going to a doctor is actually an expression of faithlessness. And so don't do that, right? You just pray, and then you live your life as if he's answered your prayer, even if your body's wasting away, right? Because you just, you got to have enough faith. And if you have enough faith, he's going to do it for you. Now, now, here's the reality of it. I've seen damage done to God's people because of both ends of that spectrum. And all along that spectrum are people who believe various things and, and address sickness and difficulty in various ways. And here's the thing, as we come to this text in James, I think that there's a, a tremendous amount of, of encouragement that we're given 
in regards to how we as Christians can live in the midst of physical hurt, physical illness, as well as suffering and difficulty, but also what we can expect in regards to God's hand moving in our lives. So that's what I want to point us to today. And I think it's a great text for us as we look to Thanksgiving because it points that ultimately we're to be thankful people because we have the hope of Jesus, amen? No matter what. And sometimes that's hard, but nonetheless, that's the reality for us. So as James wraps up his letter, he ends this section with three commands, three admonishments, and we're going to look at each of them. The first one is this, if you are suffering, pray. That's easy, right? If you're suffering, pray. If you experience suffering. Now, this term for suffering, interestingly enough, it's only used four times in the New Testament. As a noun, it's only used here in the book of James. And it refers to situations that are causing emotional and spiritual distress. The same sense is also given to us in 2 Timothy, where this word is used, but the emphasis is not necessarily on the removal of a situation or circumstances causing us distress, but is ultimately pointing us to strength to endure the situation that's causing us distress. And we talk about this a lot in this place because we want to be honest with the realities of life. We know life is full of things that can cause us all kinds of suffering, distress, emotional pain, physical pain, all kinds of things. Whether it's persecution for your faith, or whether it's a tragedy that comes into your home, whether it's a a harsh word that's spoken that brings you distress, or you've been watching the news and you see everything that's happening in Israel and you're just like, man, I'm distressed because I don't know how that's going to play out. Like we realize that there's all kinds of things that bring about distress in our lives. And James' admonition is that whenever you feel this, you're to take it to God in prayer. You're to plead with him, to petition to him, Petition to him for strength, endurance, help, wisdom, joy, peace, rest. Rest in his sovereign hand as God and the hope that you ultimately have in Jesus. I find it fascinating that just above this statement, if you were here last week, you remember he he calls us to be patient. right? And you remember last week I had the staff and it was a reminder that as we walk this world and there's things we need to lean upon and, and, and do that. But part of that is to pray, to go to the Lord and ask him for help. And this emphasis is really important for us because it sets our expectations as Christians. Because if you came to follow Jesus in the hope that he's going to take away everything in your life that causes you distress, everything in your life that causes you suffering, it's not accurate. It's not accurate. Now, we know he's going to someday, but in this life, there is going to be things that cause us distress. Now, there's absolutely the promise that he will come alongside of us, amen? There's absolutely the promise that that he can bring comfort and help. but, But when it comes to the complete removal of these things, we don't have that promise until he returns, which we believe and pray for and hope is soon. We often, I think, as Christians, don't think, however, that God cares about the little things that bring us distress. 
Like, I think it's easy for us to run to God and ask for help when we find the suffering of, um, you know, a whole world falling apart. But when it comes to the little anxieties, the little cares, the little challenges that cause us stress in our lives, like, we feel like, I, I don't, I don't want to take that to God. Like, that's not big enough to God. I mean, look at around this room. Imagine how sick and tired he would get of hearing all of us at the same time bring every little thing that brings suffering to our lives to him. But that's exactly what he wants us to do. That's exactly what he asks us to do. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Does, does that say casting some of your anxieties upon him? Does it say cast only the big ones that, that you think are really large and that are the, the ones that are going to destroy you? No, he says all your anxieties, all of them. Cast them all. Are you experiencing distress because you don't know this Thanksgiving if you can afford a Thanksgiving meal? Pray. Are you experiencing distress because you don't know if you're going to get a bonus this year? Pray. Are you experiencing distress because someone spoke something harsh to you? Pray. Are you experiencing distress because you're running late again? Pray. You're experiencing stress, students, because you got a bad haircut and you got to go to school tomorrow and you're afraid they're all going to make fun of you. I mean, I guess that's like two weeks from now, but, but you feel that stress, like we're called to pray. So a lot of times we don't get in the habit of going to the Lord in all of the moments of distress and suffering in our lives because we think, well, it's too small. He wants us to give them all to him. And notice why, because he cares for you. Isn't that encouraging? He cares for you. Like, I don't know if you've got kids, but can you imagine telling your kids, like, I, I don't want you to tell me that you're afraid of this or you're having a hard day with this unless it's big enough. And you want to hear all of it. You want to hear everything that your kids want to bring because you care for them. Brothers and sisters, this is what he wants for us. Maybe he'll step in and help the situation. Maybe he'll send a brother or sister to encourage your heart. Maybe he will point your attention to the word of God to encourage you. But however he moves, he does listen and he does care. So bring it to him in prayer. Bring it to him in prayer. If anyone among you is suffering, pray. Second, James tells us, if you are cheerful, you are to sing. The exact word is, is anyone cheerful, let him sing. Now, certainly this comes more natural to some than it does others. Others of you definitely don't want us to sing every time we're cheerful because we're terrible. But nonetheless, like, this is a reality. I love my daughter, my, my seven-year-old. She sings all the time. Like, I, I love to hear her sing. Like, she just has that in her. But the point here isn't just how you sing or the songs you sing. The point here is to be aware of the moments in your life when God has stepped in. And here's why. Because the word for cheerful doesn't simply mean, like, an emotional feeling. But that's not what he's talking about. The word for cheerful here means to take heart or to be encouraged. So another way to say it is, if anyone has taken heart, sing. If anyone has been encouraged, sing. Like we're to do this not just Thanksgiving week, 
but every single day of our lives. Every single day of our lives. James is calling us to consider all the ways that we are, should be, and have been encouraged or given strength, and then praise him in song for it. Some of y'all need to do that in the shower, the car, don't care, but praise him nonetheless. Let me give you an example. A lot of you guys know, like me and Karen, we adopted um, Jade from China. Goodness sakes, it's been almost six years. It'll be six years in July, so it seems like a long time ago. But if you were here when we were walking through that process, you remember that when we went to China to get Jade, the first several days that we had her were some of, no, I'm not even gonna say some of, they were the hardest days of our lives. Like we have talked, me and Karen, multiple times how we try to share that experience with people and we try to use words and they always fall flat. Like we always walk away being like, yeah, I just don't feel like they quite get it. Like it was awful. It was, it was a terrible moment. And so we, at that point, it was like day two or three into the process, we were like, Lord, we're worn out. We are, we're, we're, we are suffering. We are distressed. We're struggling. This little girl is distressed. She is struggling. Like, I have no idea how we're going to make it for the next eight days or however long it was. And so we began to pray, and we asked some in the church to pray. And I will never forget that the next morning, I went downstairs to get breakfast for Karen and Jade to bring it up because she was so distraught, like we couldn't even take her down into the breakfast area. And as I was doing so, um, I sat down for a second next to this lady out of this entire room, and I got to talking to her, and she was an American. Her name was Jill, and she was adopting with the same organization a little girl. Um, I think it was her like fifth or sixth adoption. And, and here's the thing. Jill became the un most unbelievable encouragement to Karen and I during that process. Like that God put her in our group to sit next to me that morning at breakfast and be able to be like, oh, I get it. I've been there. This is what you, like, like, this is how we're gonna address this. Like, I'll be there for you. I'll encourage you. Like, here's what I can do. Uh, I've got all these different things that might help and all these different, like she'd been there and done that. And I remember I went and got Karen and we came down and we sat deck, um, next to Jill. And, and here's the thing. It didn't fix the situation, but my heart took courage because God had seen us and he had heard our prayers. And so because of that, uh, we, we praised God, we thanked God of, because he had heard us and he was there. And this is what James is trying to remind us of because it's easy for us to miss those moments, isn't it? It's easy for us to miss those moments, to miss being thankful for how God has answered us, even, even when the circumstance doesn't change, to miss the opportunity to give him praise. This week, I would challenge you, I would encourage you to consider the ways in which God has answered your prayers in the midst of distressing and suffering times, ways that he has brought encouragement to you, maybe ways that you've missed it. You want to know why I often miss it? Because I go to him praying, hoping for a specific answer. And when he doesn't answer the way I want to, I miss the way he answered that was actually better for me in the first place. I mean, I hope for something else, and so I missed what he actually gave. And I wasn't happy with it. I, I, I only had one thing in mind, 
And I think so many of us can do this that we're struggling and we're in distress and we go to God thinking that we know the answer, thinking that we know what we need, thinking that we know what our our families need. And so we go and we ask him for that. And then when he gives us something that's not that, we don't give him the glory for it. We don't praise him for it. We don't thank him for it. And we miss it. And James is saying like, listen, if you take heart in a situation of suffering, that could be from the Lord. Maybe it's a nurse in the hospital that comes and prays over you in a way you didn't expect. Maybe it's a student who sits next to you at the lunchroom when you felt like you were all alone. But these are gifts of God and they may be the answer to your prayer. Don't miss it, church. And take heart and praise him. And we're not looking at unrealistic happiness, but an encouragement that comes from a sovereign hand of God and reminds us he hasn't left us. I love an example that we have in Paul's life. Paul, if you know his story, uh, he is arrested and he's, he's shipped off to Rome. And on his way to Rome, the ship that he's in gets stuck in a storm and they're in the, in the sea and they're getting tossed to and fro. And, and at some point they get to a place of hopelessness and despair because there's nothing more they can do. And Paul makes this statement in Acts 27 and I love it. Yet now I urge you to take heart. Now, wait a minute. I'm gonna pause here for a second. We read this in this wonderful, heated, calm sanctuary. Like you read this in the morning holding your nice little cup of coffee and you're reading it. Like that's not where Paul was saying this. He's saying it while people are throwing up on the side of the boat. The waves are tossing and turning. They're wet. They're soaked. The the boat is cracking. It's breaking apart. Maybe the mast has fallen. Like people are in panic. They've thrown everything off the edge of the boat. Like he can't probably even talk over the sound of the storm. I don't know if you've ever been in a boat during a storm. It's loud. And I think Paul, in the midst of that moment, not drinking coffee, but in the midst of that moment, he says, yet now I urge you take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. I love that because in this moment, he's saying, take heart, be cheerful, because because God has, the, the God who I belong to has answered my prayer. And I think about those guys and they're like, well, wait a minute, like we've lost the ship. That's my livelihood. Like we've, we're gonna lose everything. Like I'm wet, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Like, like, and he's saying, still take heart. But here's the thing, sometimes the call to take heart doesn't mean the storm stops. It means that God has spoken in some other way and Paul knew that. And so he took heart. He knew that he could trust in the God who sees him, the God who cares for him, the God who understands, the God who moves mountains, the God who is for him. And so he says, the God whom I belong to has heard my prayer. I love that. And so for us as the church, the people of God, like we are not only to, when we are suffering, pray to him, but we're also, when we find those moments where God has answered prayers, when we take heart, when we've been encouraged, when we find ourselves cheerful, man, we're to sing praises to him, even if the storm is still raging. Sing praises. Now, he goes to the third admonition. And he says, if you are weak, pray. Now, I need to start with why I use the word weak here instead of sick. 
Because in your SV or in your Bible, probably it says if anyone among you is sick. Well, let me walk you through a couple of things that I think helps us understand this text a little bit better. Verse 14 says this in the ASV translation. James chapter five, verse 14. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, we hear that and we hear disease, we hear diabetes, we hear headaches, we hear stomach aches, we hear cancer, we hear that kind of component in sick. But the word that is used in this text is a very particular Greek word, and it's astheneo. I don't typically go Greek nerd on you, but this is really important for us to understand this. This word, while it is often translated in our English translations as sick, is better understood as weakness. That while might include physical weakness caused by specific illnesses, is understood in a much more comprehensive sense. The whole man. So here's what I'd say. Like, this idea of understanding sick isn't a smaller vision of sickness, but a greater vision of sickness. It, it causes more things than just physical ailments. Jesus uses this word this way in Matthew 26, verse 41. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Ask the nail, sick. The flesh is broken. It's corrupted. It's not what it's supposed to be. Like it's, it's weak. There's another word in the New Testament, which is often used, especially in the Gospels, that seems to be very specifically referring to those who are strictly physically ill. That word is kakos, and is clearly connected to disease. For example, Matthew chapter 4. So his fame, Jesus' fame, spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick. That's kakos, and look how it expresses that. Those are afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. If James was strictly talking about disease, kakos is a better word to use, but he doesn't. The word translated for sick in verse 15 isn't kakos, and it's not athenaios. In fact, it's a different Greek word, which is only used twice in the New Testament. The other time is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, which is talking about weariness. So here's why that matters. And here's what I would contend based off of those things, that the call to anyone among you who is sick should be better understood as anyone among you who is weak in a more comprehensive manner. So let me clarify even a little bit more. Sick or astheneo in James chapter 5, verse 14, refers to anyone who finds themselves needy, weak, weary, discouraged, physically ill, anxious, struggling with consistent sin, or struggling to trust the Lord, or any number of other things that I did not mention there. And this can be physical, it can be emotional, and it can be spiritual. So here's the command. If any of you find yourself in a state of weakness, you should call the elders for prayer. Now, why does this matter? It matters immensely because it brings clarity to much of the rest of the text. Because if you read through James 5, some of these things kind of get confusing, like raising people from the dead and forgiving for sins, and why am I calling the elders in the first place? Well, let's start with there. Why should we call for the elders? 
Why not just pray for yourselves? Does God not hear your prayers? No, he absolutely hears your prayers. We've already said that. We're to always go to him because he cares for us. But these are specifically those moments where you are too weak to have the faith strong enough to go to the Lord. Specifically, this is talking about elders because of what James says in verse 16. He says it's the prayer of a righteous person, that it has great power as it is working. And so if you look at elders in the scriptures based upon qualifications of elders in Timothy and Titus, they should be men who have remained steadfast in their faith. They've endured seasons like this. They've walked through seasons like this. They've been proven. Being an elder is not a special class of people at all. And that's why he talks about Elijah. He says Elijah was a man just like us. Like he has the same nature as we do, just like all of us do. But his faith was strong. And elders' faith should be strong as well. Listen, it doesn't have to be elders, but it does need to be people who are strong in their faith. People who are walking in that kind of endurance. Maybe it's brothers and sisters in your house church. Anybody who has proven themselves to be strong. Let let me give you an analogy that helps you understand why understanding this to be weakness and why it's important to gather people around you. Have you ever walked to your refrigerator and you've been making a sandwich and you're like, man, you know what would be amazing is is some pickles? And you go to get the pickle jar and you pull it out and as you try to open it, you're like, why in the world did they hire the man of steel to put this jar lid on? Anybody? Or is that just me? And you start like banging on the bottom of it and you're like getting contraptions and all kinds of stuff. As a husband, I panic a little bit when my wife hands me a jar like that because I'm like, oh no, what if I can't do this? I'm going to be humbled and I'm going to be like, oh no, I'm going to have to call someone a little stronger than me, like Jason Krieger or somebody like that, like just to get the stinking pickle jar open, right? And and so here's the deal. Like, Like the point is, is when you open up that jar and you find yourself too weak to deal with the problem, you don't, I don't take the pickle jar to my daughter, Jade, who's seven, and say, hey, baby girl, would you help me? I need someone stronger. I need someone who can actually open the jar. And I know that's a silly example, but that's what's going on here in James. It's like, man, you, you're so weak, you just don't have the faith to go to the Lord. Maybe it's because you've been struggling with sin and you're not sure he hears you anymore. Maybe it's because you're so sick you can't get out of bed and you just don't, like this is about calling people to be around you who have a faith that is strong. So you can lean upon them. This is what the point is of calling the elders. And understanding this helps us to understand why we should call the elders because we need at times to lean upon other people's faith when our faith is weak. When our life and our struggles were, were weak. And so we'd call the elders. This understanding also helps us to have a better understanding of the anointing. Why do we anoint people with oil? Is that like a magical potion? No. It's because in the scripture, the anointing of oil is a representation, a declaration, and a symbol of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so when we're anointing someone with oil, what we're doing is we're anointing them and we're saying, like, listen, we need the Spirit to come to this. We need the Spirit to bring healing here. Maybe it's physical. We need the Spirit to bring emotional healing, spiritual healing. We need the Spirit to bring strength. We need the Spirit to bring power where there's weakness. And so we anoint a brother or sister with oil because we're saying, Darren can't do it. 
The elders can't do it. We want the Spirit of God in your life to do it. Why? So you can boast in Him. So He gets the glory. Listen to Jesus' response to Paul when he talked about a situation of weakness, a thorn that he had been given. In, first, in, in Corinthians, he says it's a thorn that God had allowed to remain in him, and a response to Christ is, or by Christ is this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My power, my spirit will raise you up is another way that James puts it. Well, God's saying to Paul in this text, he says, like, I'm not going to take away your thorn. Like, I've got it there for a reason. But I will, by my spirit, give you the grace to walk with the thorn. Now, some of us don't like that because we'd like the thorn to just be taken out. But sometimes that's not the way God works. But when we pray these things, what we're saying is we want to say, it's, it's, we want to hear God say, it's my power and spirit that's going to raise you up. It's my power and spirit that's going to bring you to repentance of sin if it's present so that you can abide in his forgiveness. It's his power and spirit that can increase your faith. It's his power and spirit to hold you and keep you so that you can actually boast in your weakness and not always lament your weakness. Maybe he physically heals you and maybe he gives you the faith to endure it. Maybe he wants to remove it so he gains glory, and maybe he wants you to walk in it in his power so he gets the glory. I think of Joni Erickson Tata. Some of you know her. Wonderful Christian woman who goes around the country giving testimony because she's a paraplegic, and God has used her mightily through her suffering. James says, though, if you humble yourself in weakness and you come to the elders or to others and and to the Lord in that weakness, praying and pleading with whatever little faith you have, leaning upon the faith of others, then the prayer of faith is going to save you, deliver you. That word is an idea of snatching by force out of your bondage. This can be physically and it can be spiritually. So understanding this concept of weakness versus just sickness also helps us to understand that this is more holistic. It helps us to set our expectations regarding healing. James isn't making a guarantee. He's not giving us an equation that if you do X and Y, that your physical ailment's going to disappear. That's not what's happening in this text. But there should be a confidence when we pray because we believe God hears us We believe that he cares for us. We believe that God answers us. And we believe that taking care of some small bacteria or virus or cancer in our bodies pales in comparison to the creation of this universe. Amen? So what should we expect? And what is our confidence in? Our confidence is this. First John, this is the confidence that we have towards him, towards Jesus. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked him for. The confidence is that when our request aligns with his will, he hears us and he gives us our requests. The challenge is aligning with his will. So let's start with what we know to be his will. 
Right? Like, what is our will in a specific situation? Let's start with what we know to be true. Well, First Peter, again, tells us, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Same word that James uses in chapter five. And this is not talking about just physical healing. This is talking about the complete and utter healing that comes to a person when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have been healed. It's already been given to you. Let me just say that again, because there should be more amens to that. Like he himself bore your sin that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. It's already done. Like, like he's already guaranteed you eternal life. He's already guaranteed you heaven. He's already guaranteed you a body that is immortal, that doesn't suffer ever again. He's already guaranteed to wipe away every tear. He's already guaranteed this church, amen? Like, that is true. And we are to anchor into that and give thanks to God for, like, this is yours. It's ours. It doesn't matter. I, I don't want to minimize it. It, it. When you get diagnosed with cancer or diabetes or any of those types of things, that's horrible. And he hates it. It's part of sin. He's already defeated it. He's already defeated it. So we want to focus on prayers that help us to walk in the work that he is doing and has done what he's going to give to us. But whenever praying in the midst of weakness, physical or spiritual, we start with praying for these types of things. Lord, give me steadfast faith. Give me faithfulness. Help any sin that's in my life be removed as a result of this. Help idols to be removed in my life so that I can walk in more faithfulness. Strengthen my faith. Deliver me from the spirits around me. Give me peace. Like, those are all prayers we know align with his will, amen? Like, we know those things align with his will because he's told us those things align with his will. But regarding specific physical weakness caused by illness, again, chronic headaches, fibromyalgia, blindness, deafness, cancer, not being able to keep your food down like that lady in India, all those things, fatigue, anxiety, doubt, sin, In that kind of weakness, when we don't know what God wants to do in us and through us, we are to boldly pray for what we desire. And it's okay. A lot of times, Christians in this space, when you get to this space, you say, well, Lord, if it's your will, would you heal me? No, just just ask him. Like, take care of it. Like, you heal it. Like, take it away from me. I don't want it anymore. I don't want this cancer anymore. I don't want this diabetes anymore. I don't want these things anymore. You do a miraculous work in my body, and you heal it. You take it away. And while you pray it, you trust that he hears you. You trust that he hears you. And brothers and sisters, some of you have been praying for God to heal you for something for years. Keep praying until he tells you, like Paul, why he hasn't healed you yet. You just keep boldly going to him. You just keep asking, Lord, take it away. I'm tired. I'm weary. You go to the elders and you ask them to pray for you and you keep praying. And it may be that someday God says, no, my grace is sufficient. But it may be that he heals you too. I pray almost every single day that God would heal my daughter's eyesight. And I believe he can. 
and I know he will. I hope it's in this world, and I'm going to keep praying that prayer until he tells me that he wants her to walk in that because he wants to glorify himself through it. I'm going to keep boldly going. I'm going to keep asking, Lord, you take it away. You keep, keep going. And so we need to pray with boldness, and we need to ask the Lord what we want. Paul said, take the thorn, take the thorn, take the thorn. God said, no, I want you to stay humble. And so Paul stopped asking. We should pray with boldness, understanding this. Physical healing is never guaranteed. But brothers and sisters, it is always possible with our God. It is always possible with our God that he can give that as a temporary gift in this life. And it is temporary, right? Just be reminded of that. Like Lazarus was raised from the dead but he died again, right? Like It's temporary, but he can give you that gift of healing. But here's the reality of it for us as Christians. Spiritual healing is always guaranteed in Jesus and is an eternal gift for the weak, for the faint-hearted, for the weary, and for the lost. So church, boldly go to the Lord. And you boldly ask And when you feel like your faith is waning, then you go to the elders and you call people or your house church around you to lay hands upon you and pray over you. This is the promise that Jesus makes for us, for all of us. We will be healed one day and he's gonna end all of our suffering. All of it. But man, we keep asking until he does. Be like that annoying little kid who keeps asking for ice cream over and over and over and over again until your parents find like, no, no. Right? God says, come to me, come to me, just keep coming. So, in closing this morning, is anyone here suffering? Is anyone here in distress? Pray. It doesn't matter how small you think it is. Who cares? Is anyone here experiencing weakness? Weakness of faith, weakness from a physical ailment, weakness from a struggle with sin that you've had for years, weariness, neediness, and you just need help, or you're just exhausted. Maybe from a spiritual perspective, you're in that place where, where like you're on your, your bed in the hospital and you don't even have the strength to get up and, and take food and you need someone to come help lean you up and, and feed you. Maybe you're that spot. Are you there this morning? Man, pray. And don't just pray alone. Like Call people around you. Call the elders around you. Pray this morning and ask for God to give you the miraculous. The fact that he hears you is miraculous. And trust that he will give you exactly what you need to encourage your soul, to grow you into more likeness of Jesus, and to lead you to eternal life. And so you can have great cheer going into Thanksgiving week. And you can take heart, regardless of what you're walking in. So here's what we're going to do as we close. And it's going to be a little bit different for us. I'm going to ask, um, if you're an elder, would you, would you stand for me? I know that's weird, guys. You don't like to be like seen, but guess what? You have to, right? Well, you don't have to, but I'm asking, would you please? So we've got a couple of elders over here, um, Steve, Dave, Brandon, 
Um, Steve Ewing's over here. So guys, if you would do me a favor, and we're going to do this a little bit different, would you just get with one of the other elders and just stay near your seat? All right, so like David, you and Brandon, Steve, you can go over with them um, or come over here with Robert, but just gather together. And here's what I'm going to do is they get to a place in the sanctuary. I'm not going to ask them to come down to the front because I know that weirds some of y'all out. Like, I'm just going to say this, that as we sing a song of praise to God, if you would like an elder to pray for you, go to one of these groups of men. Just go to them. And let me ask the question, do we believe that God can miraculously heal this morning? Then if you're dealing with something, you should go to the elders. If, do you believe that God could deliver you from something that is causing you to be weak and weary in your spiritual life? Then go to an elder and pray. Like, come to them and let them pray over you. Man, I don't care if there's lines. We're going to sing a song we're going to pray to the Lord, and we're going to end with a benediction. And if there's people lined up to have prayer over them, like we're just going to keep praying over them because that's what the church is supposed to do. And there would be nothing better as I look to Thanksgiving weekend, like nothing better than to be able to come back with testimony that God did some miraculous stuff this morning. And I believe His Spirit can do it. I believe He can do it. So let me pray, and then I'm going to ask you to stand, memorize where these guys are at so they don't get lost in when everybody else stands. But let me, let me pray, and then we'll sing. But I, first of all, I give you thanksgiving for the reality that you hear us. You hear us not because we're good enough. You hear us not because we haven't sinned or because we say all the right words or we followed the equation or the mantra. You hear us because of your son, Jesus, and the work he's done. Let's finish Father, and we recognize throughout history you have done the miraculous. You took a tax collector who the people hated, whose heart was as dark as they come, and you led him to repentance to become one of your disciples and write a gospel. You healed the blind. You, you healed the lame. You healed a woman who was bleeding. You also healed a woman at a well who was stuck in sin of adultery. Lord, you healed that woman in India I talked about this morning, like you're still here. You're still listening to us. And so we want to pray this morning that you would hear the cries of your people and that your spirit would come and be present. Father, I pray that you would give us boldness to pray what, you, what, what we want to pray and that you would, you would answer those prayers this morning to your glory. But we promise to give you great praise for it. We promise to exalt your name for it because it's ultimately about you. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would hear the cries of your people in the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of their distress, in the midst of their suffering, whatever it is. Lord, would you hear our prayers? And Lord, would you hear our praise? And would you inhabit that praise even now? 
We pray and ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus.